0: Um, So good evening, everyone. My name
1: is Rebecca Ann Proctor, and I am a journalist based in Dubai. I've been covering the Middle East and Africa for um, over 10 years now, and I'm really thrilled to be moderating this webinar tonight on the role of art centers in Africa playing the role that they play in navigating a rapidly shifting um, landscape and, and world. We're obviously in a In a time that of change, um, as we we kind of joked about in the preparatory sessions, I mean there really is no new normal if the normal keeps changing, you know. So we are in this period of, of of unknown still. Um, I'm going to say selfishly that this is a real treat for me because I really I really miss traveling to Africa. You know, I I've I've been traveling so often; it's been several times a month for the last three years, and so this period of non-travel, why it's been a nice pause. I do miss it. So I think that. I will enjoy and and obviously our our audience will really enjoy hearing um, and kind of being vicariously on the continent through our panelists. um, Which leads me to introduce um, our inspiring inspiring panelists tonight, uh, Tessa Bahana, director of the 32 East Ugandan Arts Trust, renowned artist and founder of the Savannah Arts Center for Contemporary Art in Ghana, and Mirna Wessel, CEO of Spear Arts Trust in Cape Town, South Africa and so we have a lot to cover today so I want to jump right in um, and, and let the panelists speak um, but in, in sort of in, in all we're going to be really going from how the art centers you know these art centers are sort of grassroots uh, uh, institutions for art and culture and creativity in Africa have been coping with the very challenging effects um, brought on by COVID-19 um, how art centers in Africa are fostering change and enhancing creative and artistic dialogue and lastly, the role that these art centers are, are having in terms of um, challenging, um, fostering, being safe places for, for challenging conversations. Uh, we're going to wrap up a bit with going back to you know, what happened uh, earlier in June, uh, obviously the, the protests in the US and worldwide and, and how art centers and art in general can, can act as, as means of, of change and hopefully enhancing positive dialogue through the arts um, in terms of challenging topics today. So I'd love to start first with, with Tessa um, um, and on all the panelists uh, to talk a little bit about um, their, their art center that they are directing at the moment and how they've handled the last few months of, of change. You know, how, how, did the, how has the effects of COVID-19 really affected uh, your, um, your particular center in, in Uganda?
2: So, thanks so much for that introduction, and thanks to the 154 team for the invite. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) a change indeed. Um, I run an art center called 32 Degrees East, as you mentioned, and we're based in Kampala. Um, And we have a variety of programs. We really uh, exist to serve visual artists, uh, particularly with a focus on contemporary art. And we do that through our residency program. We have a library and resource center we also host workshops and we have a, a public art festival every two years called the art um, and essentially um, with covid i mean i think for a lot of us on the continent we are sort of watching the news and seeing how different countries were responding and not really being sure exactly when it would hit us and just how um, so you know just really being aware of what was going on and um also paying very much attention to what the government was saying we ended up closing our premises a little like about a week before the government officially said that we were going into lockdown and lockdown in uganda had been really quite strict i think when you compare um our country to other countries in that um we had a curfew we still have a curfew so at 7 pm everyone needs to be home Um, and originally as well, people couldn't use public transport or private transport. Um, if you really had to use private transport, then you had to get special permissions from local government authorities. And so that then also meant that, you know, a lot of people were really quite stranded. Um, there were quite a few issues with, um, pregnant women, not able to get medical care. Um, and for a lot of our artists also just I mean, you know, pretty quickly opportunities drying up just like that. Um, you know, we operate in a field where, as you were saying, like people travel all the time. A lot of artists who had opportunities to travel, you know, those those were gone pretty quickly. And then basic things like materials, budget for materials, how to access those. Um, so lots of different things like that. So as a center, what we realized pretty quickly is that, you know, if we say that we're here to work with visual artists and to, to serve them, you know, how do we try to understand how this lockdown is affecting them? And so we took the first few weeks of being closed physically um, to continue operations online. So all of our team, you know, brought the laptops, tried to get connected to decent internet, um, and made a lot of calls to members of our community just to check in um, and see how people were doing, see how the lockdown was affecting them. Um, both, you know, in terms of these kinds of opportunities, but also mm-hmm. mentally as well um, in terms of anxiety and things like that. And, and also trying to just understand what it is that we could do to respond. Um, I think it was important for us to not charge in and say, okay, we're gonna do this, this and this without actually reaching out to people. Um, so because of that, we then decided to look at trying to get materials budgets, trying to put together a quick emergency fund for artists to access um and so those are the immediate responses and then now we're sort of in a phase of um trying to see what's next so we've moved to a lot of online programming but i think as we say like things are evolving a lot so you know i'll probably talk a bit more about that but that was our initial response
1: okay great well yes a lot has been a lot has happened i think it's sort of you know challenging to find immediately we've all been sort of we were all sort of forced to to make as you were just saying you know Tessa to to make these decisions really quickly in terms of how to go forward. Um, Mirna what was the situation in Cape Town and obviously um, you know Spear Arts Trust how have you been handling the I mean obviously the lockdown situation and now we are now in um, reopening phases um, obviously we all have different reopening phases around the globe but how has that been um, for your particular art center?
3: Thanks and to, to Ria and your team for the opportunity. Hello everyone. Um, I think it's quite important for me to expand a little bit about the context um, and what makes us different potentially to traditional art centres because a lot of the questions that will come from um, here on will also need to fit into that um, framework. We started out um, not as a not-for-profit way back in the day. We were a commercially successful um, art consultancy. Um, and over time we grew into um, more of a developmental focus. We work really closely with organizations in a a shared value environment where um, the organizations want to do business while doing good in society. So our purpose fits very well with that. We um, uh, run Uh, what we call artist career development opportunity programs in curating collections for our patron. So we're not government funded, we don't have a community center, but we focus a lot on artist career development through our ecosystem of sourcing programs. So on the the first hand, I suppose the the reality was that our patron network was severely affected um, globally by lockdowns and the impact of COVID-19, which had um, a major impact on our ability to continue with sourcing and supporting artists in the way that we usually do. So um, we've had to really pull back on the programs that we were able to offer, but we continued with our baseline uh, program, and we've been able to work with around 85 artists um, since the lockdown started in South Africa, um, which was the end of March. Um, also connecting with them in any way we possibly can. Um, digitally, we started doing Zoom sessions to um, make sure that we uh, see them in their spaces, but not, it's not possible for everybody, obviously, to have access to data. So in some cases, it's phone calls. In some cases, it's um, just emails and making sure that we understand where the the pressing needs are really um, within our community. Um, And then what else was, we we worked with some other organizations who had established trusts, um, purchasing works there um, almost in a donation format to ensure that funds are available for vulnerable artists. Um, So yeah, that's the context. And and, um, and in our own studios, we run a, a, Mosaic Studio, in the bead studio in our building. So, in the lockdown, obviously those people couldn't continue working. And we couldn't continue with our learnership program. And as the government um, released the the measurements that are required for social distancing and for making sure that um, we don't spread the virus, we were able to slowly bring them back. Um, but the the reality is that it's a real day-to-day mammoth task in managing things like cases that happen, um, positive um, infections that happen in that environment, making sure people feel safe and held and that we respond responsively. And um, yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's still very much um, a, a space of anxiety and uncertainty for us. No, thank you so much,
1: Noah. It, it is, um, I think we're all, again, struggling to find ways to, you know, work with artists and view art, but also deal, deal with safety precautions um, and not forget, not forget them at times as well. Ibrahim, um, what's the situation been for you in Ghana and um, particularly, obviously, at the Savannah Arts Trust, with um, Art Centre, with, with, um, with the artwork that you've done there and working with the artists um, in Ghana?
0: Oh, well, thank you very much for this conversation and to all the, my fellow colleagues and panelists. You know, SCCA was founded on the basis of uh, organizing uh, retrospectives on uh, older artists who had practiced in Ghana, mainly coming from like the 20th century. So the first exhibition that we did was dedicated to an artist, an 80-year-old artist, Kofi Dawson. Of course, the exhibition lasted 10 months. When it ended in January, we started a film screening program where we were talking to local filmmakers, showing some of the films that they had done, and also just doing like films, animation, and things. Uh, during, because during the exhibition, we focused a lot of our strength on the workshop program with the school kids in the region. So um, during, uh, after his exhibition, we're focusing on like, these film screenings and preparing towards the next retrospective, which we're aiming to open in May. But obviously, due to the lockdown, we decided to close both the, the film screenings and then also not uh, open the new retrospective. Um, We, uh, of of course, our library, we have a library which is open. So the library was still open to the public to use. So every once in a while, we do have people that come around. But in my own practice, I've been working around also just expanding the infrastructure within the institution, because we are looking forward towards doing uh, bigger exhibitions in the future or multiple exhibitions and i've done a lot of research into archaeological sites and findings and also looking at the idea of working with the national collection to uh, to restore some of the old works which were which are in their collections which are somehow uh, which are decaying or they have issues so uh, we focus a lot of our energy on that of course with scca we don't operate alone so we have a, a collective in Kumasi Black Star Alliance uh, and also the FCA Foundation for Contemporary Arts in Accra and also the Exit Frame Collective. So we've been uh, in conversation with a lot of our colleagues about ways in which we can somehow uh, restore and produce things mainly within this moment. And one of the exciting thing, aside the the, expand, uh, the expansion of the infrastructure has been, uh, teaching like young kids in the community, um, various things, because a lot of schools have been closed. So a lot of my colleagues have been using their uh, educational skills and teach, uh, capacities to somehow uh, teach uh, kids within the community. So we've been having various sessions of classes. Of course, we're taking all the measures in place with the current pandemic and all that. So basically, that's what we've been doing.
1: That sounds really exciting. Exciting, um, you know the film, the community, um, very, very exciting. I can't wait to visit. Uh, in terms of dealing with the artists in the in the community, what have you have you all found? I think there has there have been questions circulating in terms of where the how has this sort of anxiety, the unknown, um, dealing with yes this terrible uncertainty when we can travel, when you can go to art fairs or meet collectors or even create art. Have you found that it's affected um the artists at all? Or do you find people are just creating their art as usual? Are you, you finding that the creativity you know, it's just gone on? Um, or maybe people have found ways and you've obviously helped them find found found way find ways to to continue um art creation and dialogue. Um maybe we can start first with, with Tessa. Um
2: yeah, that's a good question. I think it varies. It varies from artist to artist, right? Because you know um people are going to be affected differently based off of their own temperament and um how you know the situation is affecting them as an individual psychologically um, a lot of people are dealing with anxiety and depression and you know may have been dealing with that even before the pandemic and i think for everywhere around the world right like it's it amplifies a lot of that kind of anxiety and so you know that's something that quite a few artists that we've talked to have mentioned um but then there's also you know the economic reality and that that anxiety that comes from not knowing when your circumstances are going to change and and also to have i mean you know you're talking about art, art markets and art fairs and things like that but i think for quite a few artists it was just literally. Um, you know, they they were doing a lot of different jobs at once just to get by in general, and then all of that goes. So how do you even where do you even start? Um so I think for a lot of artists it's also just that reality. Um so you might have been a pretty optimistic person and you're trying to do your thing, but then just, you, you can be as resourceful as possible, but when, when the resources just are so limited, where do you even um, go? So I think quite a few artists are also really struggling and grappling with that and, um, you know, coming up with new ways um, new, new ways of making money um, just to get by. And then the other artists who we've spoken to who are really loving <laughs> the, the lack of, you know, pressure, the change in pace, being able to stay at home, being forced to stay at home in many ways, and just really being able to hone in on on something that they hadn't made time for in a while or reflect on something that they hadn't thought about for a while. So there are some artists who are experimenting with new materials or new forms. Um, so, So that's pretty exciting. But yeah, I think it really varies depending on the individual and their circumstance.
1: For sure, and and obviously you're doing what you can to to help as well. I have a, a friend who runs an art center in in DRC, and he was saying that some of the artists, yeah, they're struggling to find food, and so the center there was, um, the gallery there was trying to provide, you know, because um, obviously people need to eat to also create. Um, and Mirna, how has the, I obviously hear, you know, the situation, I hear the highs and the lows of Cape Town. What has it been for you, and how are you, you know, you, you've spoken about it in the prep sessions a bit, what you've been doing also to help um, various situations like Tessa has said in terms of artists and their needs in this time.
3: Yeah it's very similar I think to what Tessa's saying is that um, it's so varied. Um, I, the, even the within the community the, the situation and the context at home or in studio is so so different you know um, and not only that um, sort of transpires in whether somebody is inspired or able to continue with work, um, but in many cases, the concern has gone right back to, well, how am I actually gonna feed my family? So um, yeah, it, it's very tough. It's not, um, we don't really have answers for those things.
1: Yeah, and Ibrahim, uh, I mean, if you talk a little bit about what's going on in, yeah, in Akra or Kumasi, or where you're based, or maybe are the collectives, you know, Black, are people just going on as usual, or are you having to, or do you feel like you're maybe mentoring more than before? Or?
0: Yeah, sorry, the line is breaking, so sometimes it just... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, well, we though uh, uh, with scca um though we are using art as a starting point the community around us is also very important actually the reason for building this institution was because of the community in which it is situated in so with regards to the labor forms that somehow brings the institution together in order one of the difficult things to to have done within the covid period was to keep the center open because every day we have like the We have have to maintain the infrastructure, of course, pay the workers, like keep the place intact. And we just had to do it because uh, at the end of the day, my practice sustains the institution because we don't get any funding from anywhere. Uh, Not yet. Uh, So um, the, the decision was whether to continue opening the center because once in a while you have one person come in the space to use the library. So because of one person a day, would have to like keep the, the entire workforce and for me i thought that was really important uh, because to really acknowledge the work that these people are putting into it in the first place and also uh the expansion of the infrastructure like uh, finding the money to pay these people who are building these spaces because at the end of the day they have to feed their families and they have to take care of themselves and for us at the institution it's very very important in as much as the the works of art, which would end up being in the space. I think that the labor force that keeps these things running within these communities was one thing that we really wanted to somehow sustain within the within the COVID period.
1: I mean, I love what you say, and it's something I, I really believe in. And uh, art, um, you know, the role of art in, in the community, to enhance the community, um, to, you know, speak to the masses. And and that's kind of the where I'd like to get to next. Um, you know, covering the Middle East and Africa for the, for the last decade. Um, I do believe that sometimes the artists, in some ways, um, you know, kind of even have more of a document, a pulse on what's happening, even maybe than, than me as a journalist, because they really are, you know, inside, it, yeah, feeling, you know, their own society, the, the country that they're from, I mean, the issues that are happening. Um, and I feel that, you know, you as, as art centers, as places that aren't so, that aren't, you know, obviously influenced as heavily by, the art market, although maybe you'll beg to differ from me, because obviously we do need funding, we do need money to get things going. But um, how do you believe? What is the role of your center of art um, to to bring about change in society? It's a big question, um, but I, I think it's a beautiful question because um, you know you're serving your community, and you know we spoke about about it, Ibrahim, um, in one of the sessions. But you know art has a role to to go beyond just just sort of the arts crowd but hopefully to change perception to bring people together to enhance creativity and maybe even through with creativity, you can enhance economic growth. Now that's, I'm talking too much. So, um, I'll go back to Tessa and how do you, you know, what are some of this really inspiring initiatives that you've been doing, um, to kind of, yeah, be catalysts for change through the arts? Uh, yeah. Very good question again,
2: next time start with someone else so I can steal some of their ideas. (laughs) No, no, but it's fine, it's fine. Um, So one of the things we do is our our public arts festival, CLA Art, and we had to postpone that this year. So it was supposed to take place in August. And really a key value behind it is that art should be accessible and it's really about bringing art into non-traditional spaces um, to non-traditional audiences. So, you know, um, I mean, in general in Uganda, there's not a lot of infrastructure for the art. So it's not like people are regularly going to a national gallery or art museum or anything like that. But then it means like for an average citizen, where do you see art? Um, And it was like, one of the reasons why I was um, chatting to Myrna about the work work, Spear Spear does with Nando's because you know it's a way of bringing art to people who wouldn't ordinarily get to to view it and respond to it and so the festival is really about bringing art to people and and trying I mean there are very varying reasons for it but you know part of it is to stimulate dialogue and be able to facilitate different discussions that wouldn't ordinarily happen Um, and I think art can be particularly public arts can be a very, very strong vehicle for bringing up, you know, these kinds of uncomfortable conversations or conversations across different people who maybe wouldn't interact in the same way. But, you know, you look at something and you're like, do you understand what that is? I actually think it's this. What do you think? And all of a sudden, you know, it's two people from different walks of life who are are having a conversation about something very real. And so I think, you know, For us, one of the reasons why we love to put on the festival is to create moments like that, particularly living in a country where, um, you know, what it means to gather in public is often very politicized. Right now, during COVID, um, even giving out food has been politicized. So you can't actually give out food to crowds because you might be arrested for attempted murder. That's basically what the government said to reduce spread of COVID, but that means that, you know, they have their motives for, for doing that um, to, you know, reduce opposition politicians power for, you know, saying, oh, we've given out food, so vote for us. So um, basically anytime people gather in public in Uganda, there's there's often um, like, there's a bit of a threat to that. And so bringing public art to people um, allows, a way of going around that threat and sort of navigating that and and bringing up you know these kinds of um conversations and then also you know aside from freedom of expression sometimes people just want to see really cool things and and experience or and experience spectacle and feel small or feel bigger or you know just be able to see the world differently and and having being able to have that those moments and that perspective i think shifts how you see yourself in the world, what you think is possible. Um, and so all of those things, all of those interactions, I think, you know, change society, you know, you don't change society without individuals having a transformative experience. So um, that's, that's a big way that we try and do that. And so hopefully we'll be able to have the festival next year, um, but we're continuing to do our programming and push that online as well.
1: I, I love what you said in the last, your last line, you can't change society without having without individuals undergoing a transformative experience. And I, you know, an art is transformative. So if you really think about it, the artwork that you're viewing or the exhibition, whatever, if that can make you feel something, then that can change. Um, and I, I believe in that. So that's, um, yeah, very powerful. And Mirna, yeah, I, um, I've been following for a long time the Nando's work. And at first you see, I remember when I first saw the Nando's sign, I thought, this doesn't make sense. I just don't know, I don't get it. But then when you really see it at, you know, the 154 exhibitions in London and, you know, I it opens your eyes, um, and again, it's sort of, it's that, the beauty of the cross, yeah, I don't even know how to say it, cross-sector um, art pollination, if you could so say, so explain a little bit about that program, and, and it's really bringing art to people who might not even
3: have thought about getting into the arts. Yeah, that's true. Um, the I mean, the, the wonderful platform that Nando's does provide is the accessibility, as Tessa mentioned, Um to South African art, to South African culture. Um, so, um, and it fits beautifully in with the the brand context in that they want to tell the story of their origin. I think not a lot of people know that Nandas is from South Africa. So that sort of um, creates the link, but on many ways um, it's really contributing towards the business's ethos in the sense that, um, that sort of allows them to create unique restaurants. Every single restaurant, um, nana's restaurant around the world is a, a different experience. And I think if people um, live in a, an environment maybe four or five, they probably like to go to different ones to, to have a different experience. Um, the, I mean, on the one hand, it's, a, it's family restaurants. So one, one has to be careful about, um, the context that you present some of the works in. Um, And that makes it a little bit challenging, but um, that really opens up an opportunity for dialogue and discussion for allowing people to get to understand um, the different contexts. Um, Somebody in in Europe might be offended by something that would be quite um, normal for someone in South Africa to experience and depict. Um, And I think those conversations are also really important. I wanted to also add that we also mustn't forget that um, it's not a given, the artistic expression, um, freedom of artistic expression is not uh, possible everywhere in the world. And even in our country, 30 years ago, um, the work that... You know, would have commented on on political structures, and that would would just not have seen the light of day, especially in our country. So I think that's what makes the Nana's collection so exciting: is that it is a post-apartheid collection, and it talks about that um, renewed freedom of expression. People still comment about social issues. Um, very often, people want to have um, fun. And, uh, joy um, when when they go to restaurants, but I think um, when you dig delve deeper into the meaning of the works and the artists behind the work, these stories really do come to the fore. So it's a very rich expression of South African culture that is available for the whole world um, to experience.
1: Yeah, no, it's, um, well, it's always been very, I've been to South Africa so many times, it's always been very inspiring to see the mix of, or well, really how sort of the past is, comes always it marries with the present in so many different ways um through the art um people obviously the artists, you know obviously getting through some of the trauma or whatever we're obviously got so have all gone through trauma with the last few months but how that kind of is still working its way through through the art um, you know ibrahim when you when we were speaking i think the first time you mentioned the idea of going beyond form through art and sort of the role of art in in politics or in society um, maybe you could explain a bit more this idea of you know, going beyond the form. I mean, your work is, is, is highly conceptual. I mean, some of the work that we've seen at the Venice Biennial and, and other, you know, really large scale public artworks. Um, how does that going beyond form, how does that tap into, um, I'm thinking also of the one I saw. I can't remember the name. I'm sorry. Of It was in Milan last year when I was, I drove by the car. Yeah, 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 and it's so powerful. <laughs> you want to stop your car and just stop and look and be like, what is this? So maybe you can explain a bit more about that.
0: Hello, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes, so yeah, thank you. Yes, so what I meant by the going beyond the form is that I trained as a painter at a university. So both from undergrad MFA and currently at the PhD level. So the idea has always been to, because sometimes we think, because art, no matter what you do, always ends up somehow being very elitist. Because no matter what you do, your work will always end up in the in the in the art museum or in the art gallery which already issues regarding representation it cuts away 99 percent of the population from the experience of the work so in art school the question was always how to produce art maybe some people sometimes people think that it's the system of art that the problem that's where the problem mm-hmm. comes from but i think maybe why not change the form that art itself art can take so hence uh uh, thinking about painting in a sense that can be uh the covering like taking a form of the buildings or taking a form of objects which somehow expand or even talk about the human condition in such a way that the body itself cannot maybe articulate that then realizing that there is a huge deficit when it comes to let's say uh the cultural institutions and infrastructure within the country um there is um a lot of the work that I've done on building these institutions have been inspired by some of the buildings that I covered in the last couple of years since I started working on collecting drawings from these spaces. But then again, also um, there there are buildings, for instance, uh, there are some buildings that were built back in the 19 early 1960s, post-independent era, when Ghana was trying to like uh, build a cultural its cultural scene and all that some of these buildings were abandoned so my question has always been how does the contradictions of art in itself come back to somehow liberate or resurrect the ghosts mm. the, the ghosts the ghosts that live among us so uh, by using let's say the money that i would ordinarily have earned through my work my, uh, through an art fair it doesn't necessarily mean that i would come back to ghana and establish an art gallery but maybe I can use that money to buy this old building, which was probably meant as a factory. But then now, because of the ghosts that this building has accumulated, it can act as a cultural institution and the history of that space can somehow guide it in a different way. So uh, art in itself somehow changes its character and its form. And suddenly the space can become a place of gathering where people can enter this mode of not just reflecting, but it can also change the way in which they relate to one another and also the things around them within their society. So by then, uh, the attitude of painting in a sense would have taken a very different form because now it's not something that is commodified or something that is an object that you can buy, but suddenly it transforms into uh, a space which uh, democratizes the way that people experience the world and the content that is produced out of it. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's very political. Yeah,
1: yeah, art, yeah. I think it's, I think it's almost impo- I mean, it's almost impossible to sort of strip the politicism, you know, of of art. And as you're saying, these spaces. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Accra, and I went to Chaliwati in in, in uh, Jamestown, and and going into those old buildings, and they have such uh, strong energy. But yet, they're you know, this the past is marrying with the present, and obviously, it's yeah. exactly as you're saying. And that's what's so that's, that's change right in front of you. Um, yes. it's a change. So that's, um, but again, you're not forgetting the past. It's using, correct me. I mean, you're sort of, uh, moving forward in, in, um, in a positive way, which it sounds like, you know, all, all of you are doing in your respective places. Um, and that brings me to kind of the last section before I, before we open this up to questions and it's probably the more, I don't know. I don't want to say challenging cause I think it's better. We don't look at things challenging. Otherwise they're going to become challenging. But, um, Yeah, what happened, it would be um, impossible for me to kind of, you know, moderate this webinar, thanks to 154 and Tori and her amazing team, and not speak about and sort of, you know, glaze over um, the really challenging protests that happened in uh, the US, um, where I'm from originally, and um, then went all over the world, um, that, you know, triggered by the death of George Floyd, and, and obviously the ongoing systematic racism, and obviously there's the Black Lives Matter movement, and I want to ask um, each of you, and you know, feel free. Whoever wants to speak first, obviously, if you need to kind of digest a bit more. But um, what is the role of? of an, <laughs> I don't want to put someone on the spot, but what is the role that you know, as as you've said, and there's obviously, I wish I could ask more questions, but we do need to kind of stick within a, a time frame. But you're also dealing, as as Mirna and Tessa was saying as well, with different um, sort of levels of maybe we say self-censorship as well, or how do you relate to the past or these difficult subjects through art? Um, this situation that's happened has really just, everyone wants to talk now, they want to come out and, and, and deal with this pain, this trauma that's still very much in the air, and obviously Africa is, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, this is, you know, Af- you know, African-American, what's happened over there, but it's affecting the entire world, it's bringing up pain from col- colonialism. How do you, how do you address that? What happened? Uh, how have how has it been in, in sort of Uganda and South Africa and Ghana? What was the response to what happened? Um, I mean, this talk was originally supposed to happen. I think two days after the the I think two days after after George Floyd's death. So we've we've had some space here to reflect. A lot has happened. Um, yeah. What what has been the reaction? And how does art um, come into that dialogue? I feel like I just. I feel like I just spoke too much. Yeah. i been trying to no. deal with a variety of layers to this very complex topic that is ongoing, um, and be sensitive to it at the same time because we're all dealing with it. We're all struggling with the emotions in different ways, um, depending on the context that we're based in or where we're from. So, how has it been?
0: Oh, I think that arts, for us, art has always been dealing with the crisis yeah not just crisis with regards to the times that we live in, but crisis with regards to uh the yeah I, I've been talking a lot about ghosts recently, and sometimes when you talk about ghosts, people think that ghosts are yeah they are somehow manifestations of the past things that are somehow come from the past to haunt us but sometimes ghosts are also a manifestations of things which are yet to become because um after mm-hmm. the after uh, slavery was abolished in the US uh, between that time and now, there were a lot of things which should, have, which should have been addressed, particularly with regards to issues regarding freedom, but it was never really addressed. So the ghosts of uh, the past have always been haunting the United States. And of course, the United States uh, is the largest economy in the world, so a lot of decisions that they make somehow affect the rest of the world. Of course, it does affect the art mm-hmm. markets which in turn also affects us within the, how we are able to raise whatever capital that we raise in doing our own work. So for us here, it's that's why it's always been very important for us to really address the core of the matter with regards mm-hmm. to looking at the inequalities that are already somehow embedded within our society with regards to experience and also when it comes to production values how art is made and how art is perceived and also the form that art has taken over the years. Because sometimes people think that with regards to issues regarding representation only happens when the human form is only worked with and the work can also end up in a way that can be consumed. But sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to end up in that form which can be consumed. Maybe it has to be process-based in a way that can really reorient even the production systems within the world and society itself that's when we actually confront history and we confront go- the ghosts both within the past and ones which are yet to emerge on a daily basis. So with regards to what happened with uh, uh, the murder of George Floyd and combining it with, with the pandemic, we don't have to forget that because without the pandemic, George Floyd's murder, I don't think it would have actually had that magnitude that it's had today. Sure. So I think that both of those have really somehow exposed, exposed the wound the deep wound that has been within our, within our most modern history within the last 200 years, for us to really go back to and confront. So for me, I think it's a very good confrontation. And we hope that at least post COVID and then post this era, uh, the, the existing forms of relations, not just within the United States, between African American community and then the general population, but then also the relationship between the West, the North and the South, everything will change.
1: Yeah. No, thank you. That was, um, yeah, wonderful to listen to. Like snaps. To. <laughs> <That> was, <yeah. laughs> um, I love gosh, the metaphor yeah. of ghosts. So yeah. good. So good. Maybe, maybe, um, we'll have, maybe we'll have new ghosts soon, hopefully. Happy ghosts. Uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. just thinking about how the
2: king of Belgium just apologized to basically the whole of DRC for their colonial history, um, you know, just, I mean, all of these things, like with COVID, obviously, there was this unprecedented, 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 and it sort of opened up what unprecedented can mean for everything. Um, you know, all of these kinds of conversations that we never really would have imagined happening. Um, the way that people have responded here, I think one in terms of solidarity, um, you know, there have been marches and protests on the continent, specifically around George Floyd's murder. And then also speaking to police brutality within within our own context that has been happening for a while, that also was, you know, amplified with enforcing curfews and things like that. Um, but then also, you know, you mentioned colonization and colonialism and how you know this question of decolonizing our curriculums. In Uganda, we have all these street signs that, you know, people have been talking about for a while but now there's this um, you can't you can't ignore so many of these things as much now right because so many people have been talking about these things particularly in the art world Um, especially like the non-commercial art world I think as well because it allows for you know these, these more critical conversations and so it's more now that one these conversations are being heard more by the people in power. Um, but also the reasons why they're being heard as well is because there's, there's fear and accountability attached to it as well. Like it's not always, you know, good motives of people thinking, oh, now we want to be, good companies and good brands and good people often there is, you know, there's a, there's a threat behind it as well that, you know, you, you need to pay attention. There are, you have a responsibility and you will be called out if you do not respond. And so, you know, how now it's sort of thinking through, how do we use a lot of these conversations that have emerged to then move to action? So, you know, we've been talking about reparations for a while, um, both in, particularly in the African-American context, but I think also in terms of all of these countries that were colonized, you know, like, what does that mean as well? What does that look like? And how do we also start pushing for those kinds of real massive, massive structural change? Because again, what COVID unearthed is that this old way of living, these, these inequalities, this was broken, right? And so how do we think about fixing it, not just in talking about it, but actually pushing and moving for
1: um, real change. Yes. And our art, um, Mirna, you know, South Africa, obviously, for the last year, as you just mentioned, the art has has um, has changed as well as, you know, you're, you're dealing with the par- post-apartheid South Africa. There are a lot of wounds and scars there, are, there are all over Africa
3: and obviously, you know, Europe and North America. Um, what has been the reaction? You're, So, South Africans certainly joined um, the world in expressing anger and solidarity. There were protests. um, With our lockdown regulations, uh, mass gatherings were not possible that much, but you you did see um, protest action. Um, But there was, interestingly, local critics pointed out that um, there was not such a vehement, uh, quick response against Death of South African civilians such as Collins Kosa um, at the hands of police and the Defence Force just very shortly before um, um, the Floyd murder. So um, they they were bringing it closer to home, questioning why there seems to be more apathy than um, action um, when when this this systemic issue still continues to happen in our country. Um, And then one positive, I suppose, was that the protest action and pressure from the public had resulted in a high court order against brutality during the enforcement um, of the coronavirus lockdown. Um, In terms of uh, an institutional response, um, I strongly feel that art centres are very well placed to create safe spaces for artists to really find... Um, a way to to give voice to those things. And we have to allow those very difficult and confrontational discussions to happen somehow so that people in an open, engaging way learn from each other. Because, um, I mean, you referred to pain, but pain relates to those who it was inflicted on as well as those who had inflicted. And it's a, a long process of um, trying to, to really face those things on a daily basis and trying to understand what those implied and inherent beliefs are that one has to challenge on a daily basis. And yeah, art exactly. does help with that, certainly does help with that. Is that so true, the pain
1: that's been inflicted from, inflicted or um, felt inflicted from both sides. Um, and to kind of to kind of wrap up before then I finally go into questions which I'm sure there'll be a lot. Um, wrapping up with a bit of a call to action. You know how can art centers like yours and you've you've kind of touched upon it already um, address this, yeah, this trauma or the challenges. You know, be, obviously you've already said you know safe spaces through research, lobbying, writing, art creation, even fundraising. You know, you're you're obviously we didn't go we didn't touch too heavily into that because I, I thought you know maybe that would come up with the questions, but. Um, you know you're you're really um, catalyst for the community. Uh, what tools, what um, sort of calls to action can you i mean are, are you planning to take or have you been taking to kind of yeah um, be sources of change right now, even in in the midst of these very difficult these still very challenging times of the unknown <laughs> um, or what do you believe that perhaps um, maybe something that you know that you're interested in implementing or in the future or or collaborations arts centre, we didn't touch upon that, there's a question coming up about that, but, um, you know, community driven as well, obviously between different arts centres and institutions.
3: I'd like to go on that one. (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure, go ahead. I think that um, we, um, in, in our purpose, we, 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 focus on um, social transformation in our context. So, all our programmes are geared towards um, um, providing career development opportunities, um, having an impact on individual artists, um, and allowing freedom of expression, so that there's almost a true capture of history, as opposed to um, it being hidden um, through the forces that be, I suppose. Um and then we have a, a education program um for young South Africans that uses art in um, so, so we teach them um mosaic, the skill of mosaic, and they they trained to interpret art with the idea that they will go back into their communities um and stimulate different ways of seeing, opening up conversations and again challenging those um. Already set views and beliefs that exist in their communities. We can always do more, um, but that's just sort of the the way that we have dealt with it over time.
1: And Tessa Ibrahim, what um, sort of? Are you, well, you already you've been speaking about the exhibitions you have upcoming and the films and everything, but maybe uh, are there other sort of? I guess you'd say you know through art are the tools that you're tools or we'd say yeah, art creation as, as a way for change that you're sort of implementing as a response to particularly, as a particular response to what's what's been happening?
0: For I think for us, it's the infrastructural developments that we are trying to concentrate on within this period, because uh, we know that it's very much needed in the future to come and now, because that is what has been lacking for so many years, particularly also when it comes to the continent, because we've never really had... Um, even when it comes to issues regarding repatriation and all that, sometimes when there is this conversation about return uh, lost objects from the West back to Africa, then it becomes a problem, of then what happens to these objects and all that. So there has been a real need for our institution to somehow tap it, uh, look into some of these things. So one of the things that we're doing a lot within this period was uh, working with local kids in the community and teaching them uh, drone technologies. Because one of my uh, one of the projects that I did, I bought these old airplanes, which I transported to the institution. So we were trying to transform the interiors into learning spaces, mm-hmm. and then, in a way, start teaching technology. Like we start have we started having these technological crisis uh, classes, where we were teaching the kids the relationship between, let's say, a drone and, let's say, the the, the 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 framework of an airplane. Yeah, like looking at some of these uh, relationships and all that. So, for us, currently, one of the most important thing conversations that we are having is having with these uh, the the archaeology departments at the university in Accra, and then also like uh, archaeological sites and villages around the country where there are many objects which have been uncovered over years and years and they've some have been left there or are protected or sometimes they end up in a black market or they end up in Western institutions. So, how do we? Let's say take responsibility for these things and creating spaces that somehow, because it's a leap from the contemporary. So that's why I've been talking about. This idea of art as a gift. Mm-hmm. So how do we change by the changing the form of art? It means that once you start looking in, in, into infrastructure, and then you like you start looking into archaeology uh, and all these historical bases, then you can begin to create institutions that somehow rewrites or realign the narratives of even let's say. The same similar objects which happen in the British Museum would, would frame in a Western context. So we're trying to build spaces that somehow change the whole perception and also ideological basis under which a lot of uh, young people grow up and operate with the world around. Us. So we're gradually creating infrastructure that eventually we hope will change the way in which the society will see the, the world in which they live in. Changes, yeah.
1: thank you, no, wonderful. Um, changes in perception. Yeah. Just and
2: just to respond to the question super quickly, um, well, infrastructure is a really big one for us too. Like we're mm-hmm. right in the middle, or we have been in the middle of a capital campaign project to build a new center. And I think, you know, it's been something we've been working on for a while. But doing that now in this moment, I think also just gives it this, or gives us as we're working on it this energy because it's really reflecting and considering what kind of world we want to create and thinking about what we felt has been lacking what kind of spaces have been lacking for us and you know you mentioned art centers working for communities but really also trying to think how can we not have that separation where we are the community right like if if we have that separation you know how do we make sure that the people working with don't feel like that, that this is theirs, this is their center. They are contributing. They are a huge part of creating the kind of world that they want to see, even in a building, right? So I think for us, that's, that's been really um, motivating to just feel like we're investing in, in, the, in a future that is sort of going against so much of what we've been feeling um, during this time as
0: well.
1: Yeah, and I think that's um, sort of a major theme. There's so many different wonderful um, um, sound bites you could take away from this panel. It's been so enriching. I've also learned a lot. But this idea of, of um, community, which I, obviously we do know from an art center, but breaking down those those boundaries of what we see art and you know contemporary art seen as this elitist um, scene, mm-hmm. and you know art reaches the masses. That we live in a in a visual world. You know our our everything that we see every day is influencing us in some way um sometimes i wonder if images even though i'm a writer um sometimes i wonder if an image has more power than the words it obviously depends on the words that are said but um yeah yeah, and so i think that's and that that brings that makes that that gives change and that's something that's really powerful i am i'm gonna we obviously could go on and on um but i'm gonna start with some questions (laughs) um otherwise it will go on all night, um, which obviously would be great as well, but for everybody else. Um, So question number one, there seems to be more and more collaborative projects between galleries during this crisis. Is that something that is also happening between art centers on the continent? Do you have any collaborative
3: projects coming up? Something I think that is really important And we are exploring at the moment who, who, who it would make sense to work with. Um, you know, with, with art centres, we all have very particular purposes and missions. And I think one has to really evaluate at this time whether those things are still relevant and impactful mm-hmm. um, and see when it makes sense to rather... Reimagine something or not start something new, but work with somebody else who's already have it um, established. I think that we will see more of it um, definitely, which is very exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, we're very fortunate
2: in that we are a part of a few different international work networks, one of which is Arts Collaboratory, which is specifically around the Global South, so, art centers um, who have very different, but also you know, are dealing with um, similar histories or similar themes in their work. And so, that's, I think, been such an amazing um, lifeline to have during the time just in terms of checking in with people and, you know, almost, I think even, you know, when you are doing the admin work, sometimes there are, you know, weights to that as well. And you don't always want to put that onto the artists you're working with. And so also being able to have your peers that you can, I mean, it's it's not necessarily a collaborative project, but I think in some ways it is, you know, thinking through processes, thinking through, you know, how can you build and support each other mentally, um, and, and share resources as well. So it was actually through that network that we were able to um, put a fund together in each one of our spaces. That was a really small fund, um, just temporarily, but you know, really for artists to be able to access something. I think you know, one thing we've seen for a lot of us is that. There have been so many emergency grants out there for artists, particularly in the West, but not much happening in Africa. So, you know, being able to do things like that, again, responding to need, responding to our immediate context. And then I think thinking a bit further, you know, once once <laughs> once we respond to one phase of a new normal and then another new normal happens, how do you then um, think through what kinds of projects might make sense? So I think right now it's sort of more in the thinking stage. Um, But at least we we have been fortunate to have connections. And I think Zoom has made it so easy as well. Not a sponsorship for Zoom, but (laughs) I think, you know, (laughs) it's just so easy, I think, to jump on the phone with someone or, like, you know, I'm going to email Mirna and Ibrahim and say, let's talk more, how can we work together? And people, I think, are really open to that as well. So I think that kind of collaboration is going to happen even more.
1: Is there any, anything anything no, anyone wants to I add? No, I think
0: they've said a lot. So. Okay,
1: okay, great. Um, <laughs> so the second question I have here is: Did the international context these last few months encourage you to think of and develop new program, new programs within your art centers? I think I think maybe we have addressed that a little bit. But if anyone wants to add um, anything about specific art programs. Um, been
0: influenced no i think for us we um, at the scca and its affiliates uh, education is very important to us so it's one of the things that we've taken very seriously um yeah as i mentioned before the, the one of the things that we're doing within this period is working with a, a few groups of school kids and all that and sometimes you realize that even within the educational system itself there's it's so inadequate even with regards to maybe certain very basic things that ordinarily you would expect that uh, kids will know within school, but they don't. So uh, in terms of filling that deficit, and I've always uh, thought that it's very important to somehow think about the institution in such a way that it can act as as an educational facility, one which can both collaborate with uh, the existing schools to somehow work with their students and then probably um, through either exhibitions or inviting artists, architects, engineers, or whoever to come there to work with them through whether the objects that are produced in these centers or even just through a theory or text-based. So education is definitely something that we've really, rethought really thought about within this period.
1: Okay, great. Um... um well, I love the idea also, just to, just to say, I mean, I think it's so important to start, you know, children, what you're doing work with the kids, you know, to getting children to work at a young age with art, it's, um, it changes their life, I think, you know. Um, how, so here we have a question about funding, which is something I didn't get as much into um, in the actual talk, but how much, do you, how much do you depend on private funding and do you think the economical crisis will impact your fundraising processes? How much will how much will this impact your platform in the mid to long term
0: yeah, well i found this space myself so far so i raised my hands up i don't i don't worry or think about any of these things <laughs> so, so yeah but i think definitely of course um, in uh, not being able to sell your artwork because of the crisis it's going to affect us there are, many things that we want to do, but we would have to wait on it and do it later. Um, eventually, we hope that we'll get funding to be able to sustain the institution. But currently, we haven't gotten to that point yet. So sometimes I feel a bit grateful to be able to at least just navigate through. But I'm sure with Tessa and Bremer uh, from uh, Cape Town, they will, yeah, they. it's a very different situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe they should, um, um, yeah, speak a bit more hard on this. <laughs>
3: well, as I've oh, explained. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, Tessa. No, We're go ahead. On a funding model, um, rather, we, <laughs> um, we have a, a commercial relationship. We're providing a service, but in a shared environment. Um, and we are being affected, obviously, by um, organizations' ability to continue with that. But we, we know that they are committed, so there is not a risk um, in terms of the continuity of the organization. But I think that the reality is that um, we have to critically evaluate all our programs, as I've said previously, and make sure that those are still fit for purpose, meeting demand, establish whether there's different new demands now, new needs in the ecosystem, um, and go beyond our, our current, um, we have to go beyond our current patron network.
1: Hmm.
3: Yeah, for us, I mean, we're not, a lot of our funding so far has come from
2: foundations, particularly based in Europe in terms of our largest funders. And so, um, that probably, you know, that might change over the next few years, depending on their particular priorities, because they receive their funds from Ministry of Culture or from, um, other groups that you know depending on the crisis that might change but that's also a big reason why investing in infrastructure became such a big priority for us so that we do have something that we can own that enables us a bit more flexibility in terms of making decisions like what programs are we gonna cut what can we afford to actually still keep hosting because we have a building because we have the space that we can rent out you know because we have this tenant etc cetera, etc cetera. so really I think you know, in some ways, we're in environments where you've been forced to be resourceful from the beginning because you're not depending on large amounts of government funding because they don't exist. And so, yes, you know, we do anticipate some of our funding in the future going down. Um, We have had a really good relationship with a lot of our funders. And so we've also been able to shift some of that funding to directly um, help some of our artists. But It's also this question of, you know, we also have to think through our existence as well. So I think that's also going to continue to be a struggle over the next few months or years.
1: Yes. (laughs) hope. hopefully, hopefully not. But obviously, there's where there is a will, there is a way. I have to believe that. Uh, I have a few more questions here. So actually I'm gonna say this, direct this to you, Ibrahim. This is, well, this is for you. Um, Following from what Ibrahim has said about structural change within institutions and those conversations happening often beyond representation, is the decision to self-fund SCCA a political decision or due to exterior circumstances?
0: (laughs) One, it was a political decision Because uh, we just had to do it, you know. Um, uh, No one is going to give you any funding to do anything here. And you do understand that, um, that just this afternoon, I was having a conversation with one colleague of mine, that uh, for some reason here, uh, our damnation is our salvation to begin with. You know that you don't have anything to begin with, because there are no uh, private donors or even the government doesn't really fund the visual arts, so there is a lot of work that an artist has to be able to do in order to self-promote and do their own work. And I've also seen um, I've also seen uh, situations where artists or individuals have started projects which are really interesting, but because of external funding at a very early age, uh, the projects or the institution gets corrupted away. So for us, I think it was very important for us to somehow crack through, it's very difficult to do that, but at least to be able to build their institution based on the promise of having nothing, to be able to sacrifice everything that comes out of the work and put it back into building this uh, institution. Of course, there is a lot of land and other things which we've invested money into hoping that in the future we can go into agriculture, and all these other things, which can also raise other capitals, which can help sustain the the institution. But of course, you can't operate in isolation. So every once in a while, I think it's important for us to collaborate with other institutions, even if there is funding, external funding involved, um, to be able to uh, to be able to expand our program and also to be able to uh, maybe def- uh, expand the infrastructure to meet more the that. Uh, the demands that come from, like uh, the community around us, in terms of how they consume the program and then everything. So,
1: yeah, okay, that's very well said. Um, this is directed to you, Mirna. Mirna, um, um, how does the how does the art that you have in, in Nando's restaurants um, basically how does it work? Does Spear Arts um, pay the artists directly? This is what this um,
3: yeah question yes. is about. Yes, we do. Um, So we ensure that they get paid uh, very soon after works are selected. And um, our programs worked in such a way that we were continuously sourcing um, from four main centers in South Africa. Um, So we would visit one a week um, and different programs run um, at any given time. And the, the longest period that an artist would wait for payment would be two weeks. So we carry a lot of stock, um which we then mm-hmm. present to nando's either to um, it depends on the structure, but very often it's to designers um or property directors um, and then they they sort of build their collections for the restaurants specifically okay, great
1: um our la- the last question I'm going to read here um how do you see your organization's role in representing local populist discourse within a global conversation, both typically and in this rapidly shifting, quote, rapidly shifting, I guess, from our title moment, I am wondering about where you locate the power of the African people to shift or contribute to a globalist discourse. Do you want me to read it again or? (laughs) <laughs>
0: yes, please. you yeah, read <laughs> okay. it again?
1: How do you see your organization's role in representing local populist discourse within a global conversation? That's yeah, the first.
0: I, yeah, I yeah, I think it's a much simple one because for us, uh, in as much as we're we're making art which is inspired by the world, but at the same time, it's very important to start from the local. So hence the art as a gift that we've been talking about. There's so, um, there so much content already within local communities and all that. But contemporary art, unlike any other art form in history from the botanist tradition, somehow promises uh, immense total freedom, democracy and all that. So um, one comes to believe that uh, through, uh, if you're not in this, nothing really has, has to happen within a certain given center or within the city. So even if you go to, let's say your village, uh which is in the middle of nowhere, and there are a group of kids there who have access to let's say a classroom or whatever and they are studying and they they can build upon their intellect and all that. Why not even use that as a starting point to somehow develop a small infrastructure which can go a long way to even Uh, allow them to create multiple perspectives that they can start to look at the world from. Um, Yeah, and that alone in itself can go a long way to somehow really empower them to think about uh, their role as human beings within the world very differently. Because sometimes some people feel that oh, they are only uh, occupants of the earth because uh, sometimes we make these jokes in Ghana where we say, oh, we feel like we only came to escort some other people in the world. But definitely it's not true. We're all participants within this world. And uh, we all have a strong intellect. But one thing that is mostly lacking is information and equal opportunity and creating equal platforms across across board. So at least we once once we start to do that, the rest of the world will immediately realize that, oh, of course the narrative within the continent is not what it is as we know it to be. There's opportunity, people are creating their own uh, intellectual discourse and blah, 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 and then it goes on and on forever.
2: Yeah, I think for us it's really, a, yeah, in agreement there's so much of that and it's about creating or building on the kind of environment, providing the kind of resources for artists to then do what they will with it, you know, like considering how in so many of our contexts, you know, there might be some really incredible artists who are just looking for community or looking for time, space, materials, information, a good connection to the internet. And so, you know, by being able to provide that, if they do want to then, you know have built a career around having those international presence then that's that's up to them but they are not limited they no longer have those limitations that they had before and so for us it's really about being a space to enable them to do what it is that they want to do within their careers rather than us saying that you know, we are lifting you up onto a global platform. If they want that, then let's help them do that. If for them, it's really important to be very embedded in the local community and, you know, working with three people for the, you know, and building mentorship relationships with um, their younger peers or whatever, then, you know, like, how can we help them do that too? So, so I think that's really um, our focus and, and orientation towards
0: that question.
3: Okay. I'll try and end. <laughs> um, if, I mean, if one looks at uh, structures like what uh, 154 provides, I mean, they're very well placed to do just that. And I think to, to try and build something that either competes or surpasses that doesn't really seem feasible to me. So that's where the collaboration partnerships and making sure that one has um, relationships and those networks become really, really important. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't see us, for instance, starting um, even an international residency because there's already so many of that being offered in South Africa with other um, institutions that are to the triangle group. And yeah, I think that we would, um, it, it would be, it would make any sense to try that on our own.
1: Well thank you um thank you to huge thanks to 154 kind of you know adding on what Mirna just said without 154 and, and Toria and her am- amazing team we wouldn't be able to have this talk today and it's you know I'm sitting in Dubai Toria's in London I think or <laughs> the team is around I'm not sure where they are but they're around Europe I'm pretty sure and then Cape Town you know um Accra and um in Kampala in in Uganda I mean that's pretty incredible and so I think in terms of a global conversation, you know, we that's what we've had today. And that's pretty, pretty powerful right now, thanks obviously to Zoom without sounding too like it's a campaign. <laughs> but um it's uh it's really grateful also to the audience for um for participating and, and um for being here and for the wonderful questions and and yes, i I think there's a lot of belief in the power of art despite, um, you know, these challenging circumstances, but there's been challenging circumstances pre-COVID, you know, as, um, as uh, someone at at a gallery told me in Zimbabwe, she, I was doing an interview a few, yeah, about two months ago. And she sort of laughed. She said, she said, this isn't new to us. We've been dealing with challenges for ages and it's actual, the challenge, like what Ibrahim was saying, um, that sometimes the challenge, the restrictions, the, the having almost nothing, Actually gives you something; it pushes you forward. Um, a gallery said that to me in Beirut as well um, about a year ago. That sometimes, you know, when you have nothing to lose, you have everything to gain. Um, and so I think there's, yeah, it's a very, it's a very exciting time. But thank you all again, and um, it's been a real treat to to speak to to speak to you and moderate this talk. And and thanks again to everybody. Thank you Happy very
0: much. Evening.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks to the great audience. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, thank
3: you. Bye.